This is day five together of our look at 1 Peter chapter one. And today we're gonna take a little different look at the verses we looked at yesterday, verses 19 to 21, because these verses are some of the strongest verses in the entire scripture about the inspiration of the Bible. You listen to Drive Time Devotions, I hope many, many days, or maybe you're just starting to listen. It means you have an interest in God's word. It means you wanna trust in God's word. But how do you know you can trust? How do you know that God's word is from God? The word for that, by the way, the theological word for that is inspired, that God inspired his word, and so because of that, I can trust his word. Now, I know we're bombarded with words every day, words with varying degrees of authority behind them. I mean, if you're driving down the road and you see a billboard that says, pull off at the next off-ramp, you may pull off, you may not pull off, but if you see a flashing red light in your rearview mirror, and you hear a voice from the police car behind you saying, pull off at the next off-ramp, you're gonna probably pull off. Of all the voices that you hear calling to you every day, none of them speaks with more authority than the Bible because God said it and because he knows and controls everything, every word in the Bible has immeasurable authority behind it because God inspired it. But what does that mean that God inspired it? Well, these verses explain that, this idea of inspiration. Now, let me just make that clear. Norman Geisler has said this about inspiration. Inspiration does not mean simply that the writer felt enthusiastic, like Handel composing the Messiah, nor does it mean that the writings are necessarily inspiring like an uplifting poem. As a process, it refers to the writers and the writings being controlled by God, and as a product, it refers to the writings only as documents that are God's message. So what does that mean when we say these are God's message, these can be trusted? What does it mean that when we say the Bible is inspired? Well, let's look at some truths from these verses in this first chapter. First, inspiration means that God wrote the Bible through people. Verse 19, we have heard the word of the prophets made more certain, and you do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. So this word, Peter says, came through the prophets. It came through people. And here's Peter writing about this and God's inspiring him even as he's doing that. He is writing as a prophet. So the Holy Spirit's inspiring him even as he's talking about inspiration. Now, the details of how God used people, of how God inspired people are a matter of great debate and conjecture because none of us were there. We didn't see how it happened. One thing is very obvious as you read the Bible. God didn't use people as robots. You can clearly see people's personalities and passions and past history in what they wrote. God created a perfect Bible through real people. He moved them internally to create a word that will last eternally. Now, if you doubt that God could create something perfect through a fallible human being, I'd remind you that Jesus was born into this world through a faith-filled but imperfect woman named Mary, and Jesus was perfect. So God can work through us to create perfection. First, inspiration means that God wrote it through people. Second, inspiration means that the Holy Spirit is the author through people, but the Spirit's the author. Listen to verses 20 and 21. Above all, you have to understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again and again, you see in Scripture that scripture is said to have been written by the Holy Spirit. Just a few scriptures, Acts 1.16, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David. So David may have written it, but the Holy Spirit spoke it through him. Or Ezekiel 11.5, then the spirit of the Lord came upon me and he told me to say. So who wrote the Bible? 
God did. He worked through people, but ultimately, he is the author. Now, I think the fact that God created a perfect book through so many imperfect people is one of his greatest miracles. So splitting the Red Sea, it's nothing compared to that. When you hold a Bible, when you read a Bible, it is a miracle. Now, you have to be careful to see that the authority in God's word is in God's word and not in your opinion or my opinion about God's word. God always has a way of humbling us when we try to speak for him rather than allowing him to speak for himself. And so sometimes people will take a verse and say, this is my interpretation of it. It doesn't even fit the verse. And so you have to believe this. No, you gotta go back to God's word. It's the source. Remember that a church bishop of a century or so ago pronounced from his pulpit and in a periodical that he edited that heavier than air flight was impossible. It was contrary to the will of God. This guy's name was Bishop Wright, and you got it right. His sons were named Orville and Wilbur, the inventors of flight. So God humbles us when we make these proclamations that aren't in his word. It's his word that we can trust. Now, let me just get a theological for a moment here with you. There are two words important to understand when it comes to the inspiration of God's word. You may have heard this sometimes. When somebody says, I believe in the verbal, plenary inspiration of God's word, what does that mean? Well, verbal means that God inspired it all. The words, not just the ideas. That he worked through human beings to inspire the words. So every word is important. I believe that this is true because Jesus, when he was arguing with the Pharisees sometimes, would base an argument on a single word. Matthew 5, 18, Matthew 22, 43 to 44, you can see where he looks at a single word as being inspired. Verbal means every word is inspired, and plenary means all the words, not just part, but all the words are inspired. You may have been to a conference where they have a plenary session, which means all the people, everybody comes together. Plenary inspiration means all the words are inspired. So when you hear somebody say, I believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Bible, now you're going to know what they mean. To you personally, some books, some portions of the Bible are going to be more inspiring than others. No doubt about that. Most people find Psalms more inspiring than Leviticus, but that doesn't change the fact that all the Bible is inspired. Augustine gave us a clear warning of the danger of our deciding which parts of the Bible are inspired when he said, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. So the inspiration is that God is the author. That's why I can trust it. There's a third truth that comes out of these first two, and that is, Inspiration means God's word is to be our final authority. Since God wrote it through people, it's the authority. It's the final answer. And we have in verse 19, the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it because it is the authority for life. It is the truth for life as to a light shining in the dark place. It is the light that we need for life. When you understand that God's word is inspired, it increases your confidence in the Bible. When you understand that God's word is inspired, the the truth behind inspiration is the truth that you can trust God's word above your feelings, above your values, above your opinions, above your culture, because God's word is what's going to last. I was born into a certain culture. I may have picked up ideas that are totally wrong from that culture. I was born in a certain time. I may have picked up ideas that are wrong. I was born in a certain family. I may have opinions because of that family that are totally wrong but God's word is always going to be right. J.I. Packer defines the authority of God's word as when you treat God's word as having decisive force for your life. 
That means that whenever there's a conflict between what the Bible says or the way you feel or what you've been taught or the opinions of others or what seems reasonable to you, whenever there's a conflict between any of those things and what God says, God's right because God loves you, because God is truth, because God transcends all those things. The Bible is always right. Now, God doesn't have to have any pride about that because he is God. He just is always right. Sometimes you'll hear people say that it's closed-minded to accept the Bible as the authoritative truth. Belief in the authority of the Bible, it's not being closed-minded, it's being right-minded. It's not closed-minded to say that on a compass there's only one true north or that on a map there's only one geographical destination that you're heading towards. Since God inspired the Bible, it is not closed-minded to say that it has the final say in your life. I've always loved what C.H. Spurgeon said about this. He said, I would recommend that you either believe God up to the hilt or else not believe it at all. Believe the book of God, every letter of it, or reject it. There's no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the depths of divine revelation. A faith that paddles around the edge of the water is a poor faith at best. It's a little better than a dry land faith. It is not good for much. I don't want that kind of faith. You don't want that kind of faith. We want the kind of faith that dives into the depths of God's word. But that's going to test you. That's going to test me. Because sometimes I'm going to have to trust God even though it doesn't feel like I should trust him. I'm going to have to trust God even though I don't want to trust him in that circumstance. But he's always trustworthy. He's always trustworthy. And in every circumstance, you can know that whatever he's saying to you comes out of his love for you. And so, Lord, we pray that these words from Peter about the trustworthiness of your word, that they wouldn't just make its way into our intellect, but that they'd make their way into our heart. That, God, we would trust your word like that light that's shining in the dark place. We'd run to the light. We'd get out of the dark. And if there's any place in my life and any of our lives where we're standing in the dark right now, Lord, help us to see the light through your word. And right now, give us the faith to run to that light. Thank you for the light of your truth. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Join us next week as we look at chapter two. We're going to see a warning that will lead to a lifetime of spiritual health.